You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Kurt Taggen coming down the line. Young with a good throw. The play at the plate. In time to get the out. You know, you never know. There's way the game goes. You know, a lot, a lot of different ways to where you know crazy shit happens, and you get into the 11th inning, and that spot comes up, and you want Kirk to get the plate. Congratulations, you played yourself. Good morning, Vancouver. 6:01 on a Wednesday. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live. From the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today we are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by Johnstone's Barbecues. You don't pay more to shop with the experts at Johnstone's Barbecues. They're open five days a week with two locations to serve you. Visit them online at Johnstone's. Dot com. We have a very big show ahead on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. It's going to begin at 6.30 with Peter Galindo, not just our soccer analyst from Sportsnet. He was previously a member, or may still be in the future, a performance analyst. That was his official title. Performance analyst. For okay. Canada Soccer. Oh, under, for soccer. Okay, just not, not everything? Just soccer. Okay. Specifically gotcha. soccer. Even more specifically... He worked under John Herdman. John Herdman actually brought him aboard the Canadian soccer team. And now John Herdman, of course, is gone. So we'll talk to Peter Galindo about his time working with the program. What comes next? What's next for John? All that stuff. Peter Galindo at is, 630. Is, is he going to give us any juicy details? I'm going to ask. <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reserve the right because we're friends. Full disclosure, Peter and I are friends. We go for breakfast quite often. I'm going to reserve and allow him the right to plead the fifth, even though it's not the right terminology for radio. Well, I don't, I, I, I don't go to breakfast with Peter, so I, I, I'm going to ask him, what was it like to work in such a fractured dressing room? That's a that's a legal <laughs> entanglement that I can get out of. I can just be like, defer to Bruff. I'm like, Bruff's going to be a jerk. Did you see the Whitecaps players? Uh, uh, um, Sam Adagubi. Yeah. And, and Richie, shot back. And Richie Larea, to, to a lesser degree, shot back on the notion that uh, – uh, the the dressing room was fractured. Um, Adekube, it sounded like he was pretty upset, actually, about Herbin taking the TFC job, probably for a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. Maybe those guys don't exactly love TFC. And also, um, you know, Herdman did a lot for their careers. Yeah, I mean, look, we I've said it yesterday. I know we got to get it, move this thing along here, but that window of where they qualified for the World Cup, I mean, everyone should be walking away from that with, one, really fond memories, but two, a lot of respect and admiration for what Herdman did, Yes, without question. So 6.30, Peter Galindo is going to join us to talk about all that. 7 o'clock, Nick Shook from NFL.com is going to join us. Yesterday was NFL cutdown day. Jonathan Trailer, Taylor, not Trailer. That's a different guy entirely. Uh, Jonathan Taylor did not get traded from Indianapolis. I have no idea what's going on uh, with the Arizona Cardinals. (laughs) I have no idea. They put Kyler Murray on the pup list, so he can't play the first four games of the year. Is he with Jonathan Taylor on the pup list? He is. There's a couple pups. They're just a couple pups. Nice. Okay. Pupping it out. Yeah. And uh, they released Colt McCoy, who was the guy that came in for Kyler Murray last year. So I only care because they play the Seahawks twice this year. And if the Seahawks can get him early when Kyler Murray is pupped and Colt McCoy is unemployed, it could be good for the Seahawks. Who's the quarterback again? I believe it is Josh Dobbs. 
But there's also – Oh, right, I, right. Lou Dobbs' son. Lou Dobbs' son. Yeah. Right. Uh, there is also another guy. I think it's a rookie named Clayton Toon, mm-hmm. T-U-N-E, but I'm I wa- guessing. I wonder if they called the Jags about Nathan Rourke. I'm wondering as well because I think we find that out. Farhan was saying that there were a couple of teams that, that showed interest, mm-hmm. but he was like, uh, active roster spots are – hard to come by so maybe it was those teams reaching out and being like come to our team on the practice roster i imagine we'll hear something on the future of nathan rourke today or tomorrow because there's a window in which you're on the waivers and then maybe you get claimed by somebody off the waivers so we'll talk to nick shook about that at seven o'clock seven thirty. doug smith uh nba basketball fiba writer for the toronto star uh, we'll talk about this canadian team that has really really shown out through the first three games of the 2023 FIBA World Cup in Jakarta. Very impressive win yesterday over Latvia. Did you see the head coach, Jordi Fernandez, swearing at his guys in the first quarter when they got off to such a slow start? Yeah, They lit into him. And then he dropped an Alanis Morissette reference in the postgame presser. We'll talk about all that with Doug Smith at 7.30. 8 o'clock, it's the Drancer. You know him, Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver and Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. So it's uh, a lot to get into. Drance at 8, Doug Smith at 7.30, Nick Shook at 7, Peter Galindo at 6.30. That's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Miss that? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. There were no huge stories that popped to the surface yesterday, but the Jays led the way with a gut punch loss. 5-4 on Tuesday night to the Washington Nationals. A game in which the Jays dropped to three and a half back of Houston for the final AL wildcard spot in the game, and also which John Schneider came under some serious scrutiny for his managing of pinch runners, specifically not managing Alejandro Kirk. We can get into that in a second. Your takeaways, Jason? Uh, well, watching the game, I did have this thought in my head that if I was one of these um, types of media guys that just goes on and, 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 and yells and has hot takes, which I guess I kind of am, my hot take would be like, we could look back if the Jays missed the playoffs on a game like that and be like, that's where they officially lost it, mm. right? I don't know if I believe that. Like, there's still time and there's still some easy teams for them to play. But, um, you know, maybe maybe this will be – remember when Petey had rock bottom in Carolina and then he bounced back? Maybe this will be rock bottom for the Toronto Blue Jays. At least they better hope it is because – Yesterday had all sorts of bad news, right? Like Bichette was put on the 10-day injured list. That's bad. uh, Along with Chapman. So even though the Jays' schedule um, is kind of easy in terms of their opponents over the next, I don't know, couple weeks, um, the team is is really struggling right now, and they're missing a, a few key regulars. And yesterday's game, for a number of reasons as you mentioned, was a serious gut punch, mm-hmm. right? N- not only is John Schneider under all sorts of scrutiny for his decision not to pinch run one of the slowest runners in the league when he was at third and the Jays were down a couple of runs, and then he comes out, John Schneider, and says, well, if it was the tying run, I would have pinch run, but we were down by two. Um, I don't do that. 
and then Sportsnet Stats comes out with like, he's done it twice already this season, right? It wasn't great, that part. he did not look good. Um, But for me, the the big thing was not John Schneider. It was this team that cannot ever, it seems, come up with the big hit. They had bases loaded, Mm -hmm. nobody out in the ninth inning, needing two runs, and all they got was one. Yep. Schneider uh, was up there. He struck out like the last thing you want to do in that situation. Well, I guess hitting into a double play would be worse. It would be worse. And then Vladdy got one home with a ground ball. And then Danny Jansen, I think, flew out or something like that. It was, I think that's the way it Fouled went. out. Fouled out, right. It was <laughs> the, the way Greg said Vlad, it. I like, look on his foul. The worst little brother of flying out. Just fouling yeah. out. So, um, you know, it, it's it doesn't look good right now, and I know everyone, and, and rightly so, is the the big thing after the game was was John Schneider's decision not to pinch run Kirk. But like overall, overall, if we're talking about the big issue with this Jays team, and I don't know if the reason is that's baseball or if there's something else at play here, they are horrible with runners in scoring position. Risp. It's called RISP, R-I-S-P, runners yeah, yeah, in scoring yeah. position. Like, they were one for 11 with RISP. Yeah, I'm going to stop saying and that. I think they're, I think they're, they're I think they're below the Mendoza line with the bases loaded. 198. One, 198, right? Yeah. Sportsnet Stats always comes up with like these, uh, and that's like a Twitter account. Uh, X. Always, uh, yes. Always comes out with these like devastating stats for the Jays <laughs> with runners in scoring position. It's like, it's the worst in the league. It's the worst in franchise history. So yeah, they should try I, I, not being the worst, and then you wouldn't see those stats. Abso- pop up. Absolutely. Well, John Schneider too. Like, and then I won't get like the the problem for that people will say about John Schneider is like is like you know your team is terrible um, with runners in scoring position. You know the offense has struggled at times. So in a situation like that, you might have to manufacture runs a little bit. So get the pinch runner out for Kirk, and just try and get the run home. Um, now he pushed back basically and said like, well, you know, I might want to keep, keep Kirk in the lineup. What if the game goes to extras? Right. And I don't know, like when you, when you're taking, when, when Jerry D is ripping you on Twitter, which he was (laughs) yesterday, he's he's had some tweet, like the highest level of baseball I ever played was beer league. And even I know you pinch run for Kirk in that situation, this might be the game people look back on John Schneider and go, hmm, is he the right guy for the Jays going well, what, forward? What's frustrating to me as a Jays fan is the fact that even his explanation hasn't been the way he's consistently managed it right. even this week. Right. He took Davis Schneider out of a game for a pinch runner, Kiermaier, like three games ago. And then Schneider's spot came up in the order later <laughs> in the game, and they didn't have his bat. And now he does this and explains it that that's the way he's always been doing it, which has not been the case. But did it, did that time when he didn't have Schneider's bat, did that time hurt? Yes. Him? Well, maybe that's why he did it then. Maybe. He's, maybe that he's was making his decisions decision. based on being gun shy after the, something that happened three games ago. Then that's not you make good. It, this if late you make in a decision season. because you're gun shy, and then your explanation for it is that you always do it that way, it feels like you're floundering. Feels like you're making it up as you go along. And I think that's one of the issues. I mean, he has a lot on his plate right now, right? Like, there's a lot of guys out of the lineup. There's guy, and and he was explaining that 
right? Now, I don't know if that made him look good, where he's like, i got to think about a lot of stuff, and mm-hmm. I didn't think about this one. Welcome to managing baseball. You have to manage a lot of different things. I That's didn't think it was a very manager. real thing that could have happened. Even he said, oh, who would have thought there would have been a short fly ball in this? What if there was a chopper up the middle? You need speed on third to possibly score yeah. that run. So there was multiple scenarios where they could hey, have needed speed from that the spot. most fired up I've ever heard. Well, Laddie. I was actually <laughs> just going to say, I was going to say, hey, Halford, have you noticed that Laddie has gone from – you know, halfway through the season, lots of time left, no panic in Laddie, no anger. I'm sensing either anger, panic, or a bit of both. I haven't gone full New York media yet. But, it's but close. like, you're starting to lose it on this team, right? <laughs> well, a yeah. Little, you, like, you what do be... you like watching these games? Do I like watching these no, games? No, no, no. What are you like? Are what am you I yelling like at the TV? Uh, I, I don't actively watch a lot of it because <laughs> it's so frustrating, right? I just right. have it on in the background. Are you in the fetal position the entire time? <laughs> no, it's, it's not even long. at that Baseball point. Too, too long it's for long. that. Yeah. Like your back starts to hurt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> rocking back and forth. So they've got, look, if they're going to turn this around, it pretty much has to be now because what they have to do is rack up wins against Colorado and Oakland and Kansas City, which are their next three series. Because they're going into the final stretch of the season where they're probably not going to play anything better than 500 baseball because it's all against good teams. And more you know, importantly for them, it's all within the division where they've stunk all year. So I'm not joking. They need to go on like a 10-game winning streak here. They do. Every other they need team. To, they need to get really hot, like 10 or, or like 8 out of 10. They've had one six-game winning streak. This yeah, so a lot of people have pointed out that they don't have their season-defining win streak like a lot of the other top teams in the American League have. So you're like, well, now's the time to do it. You were going up against three teams, which kind of stink, although Oakland beat Seattle last night, and you just have to run the table here. Now they've got to do it maybe without Bichette, maybe without Chapman. There's no Manoa. Starting pitching is starting to waver a little bit, it looks like. What is the long-term outlook for Bichette and Chapman? Are are they being pretty tight-lipped about that? Manager John Schneider called Bichette's strain mild and said the two-time AL hits leader won't participate in baseball activities for at least a couple of days, but he said he might be ready to play again as soon as the 10 days on the 10 days aisle are up. So it's not like a season-ending injury or anything. He will be back. But at this point, when he gets back, they could be out. Um, Missing 10 days at this point in the year, though, is crucial. Huge. Right, especially when you need to go win all these games against the Rockies and the A's. And, the and Ernie Clement is your replacement. <laughs> ah, Ernie. Love Ernie, but come on. <laughs> you don't get enough Ernies in sports these days. Um, in you want to? So there was a – I'm hesitant to call it Canucks news, but there was Canucks-related activity and development yesterday. Uh, one of our favorite agents, really our favorite agent, and the, quite frankly, the Canucks' favorite agent, Dan Milstein, went on a local podcast yesterday and had a funny reaction when asked about his uh, his client, Andre Kuzmenko, specifically the training regime that Kuzmenko went on this summer and, I think more importantly, documented quite thoroughly on social media. Like, it wasn't just that Kuzmenko went to all these exotic locales, including Bali. It's that there were constant video updates of him working out while on vacation. Now, a lot of people, I think, were kind of intrigued by it. I know I was. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. He's lifting up blocks of wood, and he's running upstairs, and he's doing all these sorts of unique. I classified them as unique workout sessions. But uh, according to Milstein, uh, the Canucks were none too enamored with the decision. He said that they were kind of freaking out about it. 
Uh, yeah, he said uh, they weren't having it. Yeah. Was that it? Was that their their quote? They weren't having it at first, and then... He said he heard from the head coach. We heard from everybody. Maybe, perhaps, from the janitor, too. That was the quote. And then he said everyone has to take a chill pill? Which I have not heard in, like, 15 years. No one has told me to take a chill pill in a long time. Is that Did that saying just get to Russia or something like that? Maybe. Like everyone's walking around saying you got to take a chill pill? Yeah, it's like when McDonald's got, got, finally got there. <laughs> and blue right? jeans? Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, I want, I'm really curious to see what, uh, Kuzmenko's season is like for, for a number of reasons. And this doesn't really lead the way we can talk to Drancer about this. Actually, Drancer's gone on about this a little too much anyway. So, uh, I know he's thinking about it, right? Like he's talking about regression for Kuzmenko because he produced at such a high, uh, shooting percentage yeah. this year. Um, and <laughs> You know, there was a lot of discussion in this market about whether they should sign Kuzmenko or they should trade him. I had no issue with the contract that they gave him. I would have been hesitant if they were talking about a long-term deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's still got value uh, with that contract. But he's got to perform. And I'm not saying he shouldn't have done this trip, right? Like, it's his life. He did. A, he had a really good season, and he wants to go see the world. I've got no problem with that. If he truly has taken care of the conditioning side of things, if he does show up in fantastic shape, and I'm not just talking about okay shape, and this goes for the rest of the team. It has to be really good shape. Because right. if, if there's even questions about your fitness, then you haven't done your job. Sure. like and, and there's no way they can be like, were we were we supposed to show up in really good shape? I I I did not get that memo. I'm I'm sorry. Was like, there an email? Like Rick Tockett has basically been walking around with a sign going like, you know that guy on Instagram that holds up the sign? You know, the sign guy. Have you seen him? I... He, he just like holds up a sign that says like, I don't know, like guacamole is overrated or something. He stands in oh. in New York. Okay, uh, you haven't seen that. I haven't, okay. se- I haven't seen this particular Rick sign Rick Tockett could just have a sign that'd be like, Show up to training camp in shape. Right. Right? He, like he, could he's, wear it, he's, he could wear it around his neck. Yeah, yeah, no, no, holds board. it up. He just goes, he stays out. He, the, 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 the sign guy in New York, uh, I don't know if they call him the sign guy. Uh, he just holds up the sign and he just stands there as people walk by. Right. Right? And that would be Rick Tockett in this yeah, 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 yeah. And Rick Tockett would be like, show up to training camp in shape. And he's basically said a number of times, like, hey, I don't know if you guys noticed, but we didn't make the playoffs. So you've got four months to get in shape. Now, Kuzmenko, and again, I do not hold this against him. He went on a bit of a world trip and he went to Bali. I think that was where he set up shop for, uh, quite a bit of time this summer. And like you said, they were sure to show everyone Mm -hmm. that he was finding ways to stay in shape. And they found him some ice to skate on, which probably isn't easy in Bali, but they found it. And he's managed to, according to them, stay in shape. But you know that if Kuzmenko shows up and <laughs> even if like fitness isn't an issue, like even if he's just a little bit off, people are going to be like, maybe you shouldn't have been traveling around the world this summer. Maybe you should have been focusing I mean, on this is one your of the, job. Yeah. Like, this is, I know but, what you're but, saying. But this is the risk he took. Right, like again, I. Hey, if he shows up and he plays great, great, you know. And if you truly believe that you're taking care of everything that you need to, 
in order to be ready to show up for a very important training camp and a very important start to the season with the team that just rewarded you with a new big, big-ish contract in terms of the cap hit. Maybe not long, but that was your choice. Don't forget, that was your choice to go short. Um, then y- if you don't play well, the knives are ready to come out, and they're right there. Yeah, I mean, I, on a personal level, I have a I feel weird and have a problem and don't like this line of criticism. Like, whatever, man. It's your life. Do what you want to do. There's this, um, an offshoot conversation to be had about, I don't think you needed to put any of this out there for public consumption because I don't think any, there's any good to be gained. Period. That's that's just my personal opinion, though. Like I don't, I I have nothing on to social put, m- to put it out there. Yeah, to put anything out anywhere well, for think, anybody to consume. That's just a general rule. Yeah, across but, the board. but that's for you. Yeah. But but I think their concern was like, okay, people are going to find out about this trip, and we might as well. Um, no, I, I kind of agree with you. Right? Yeah, I'm just like, right, oh, he my shoulders. Ba- he went to Bali. Yeah. Who cares? He made a, he made a lot of money last year. He scored 39 goals in his first year in the NHL. Yeah, I'd kick back and like pat myself on the back a little bit too. And if you come back and you're not in shape, have that conversation then, and maybe it's a lesson learned. I don't know. Or the flip side of it is, is that he could be completely like ripped and jacked and in the best shape of his life. These All these things are on the table. But I think the one takeaway that you should have from this is that the Canucks reached out and were like, we don't like this. Like, they have not made any subtleties about what's going on next year. Right? And this is across the board. You hear Alvin talk about it, and you hear Tockett talk about it. Pedersen, I think a lot of the contractual conversations that have been had, we really should have been hyper-focused on the fact that everyone has a ton invested in a really good start to the year, a year in which they don't crater, and a year in which they make the playoffs. And that's, I mean, they are taking this very seriously. Very serious. I think everyone realizes that there's not a lot of margin for error because another really bad year, then you start to ask really big picture questions. Is there something fundamentally wrong with the core? Is this team ever going to get it right? Have we invested in guys that know what it takes to win? I mean, it is across the board. So something as innocuous as, you know, uh, wrestling an elephant in Bali to work out (laughs) <laughs> Fun as it may seem on social media, the team is like, hey, we're watching you. We're watching you. Most yeah. of these are putting we, out there, We didn't watching. want you to do this. Yeah, but we're you watching did you. it. That's you said all. you'd be fine. You'd better be fine. And Rick Tucker would be like, did you eat the elephant? Small bites. <laughs> Small bites. Small uh, bites. Peter Galindo is going to join us next. We'll talk about John Herdman's decision to step away from uh, coaching the Canadian men's national team to take the TFC job. And John Herdman said, this is the time you feel that in your gut. You feel that in your heart. This is the time to step off. Now, I think clearly the job had taken its toll on Herdman from the issues with Soccer Canada to some of the criticisms that he received for the World Cup performance over in Qatar to the post-World Cup criticisms that people had of Herdman, and then he had again for Canada soccer. Um, He coached the men from 2018 to 2023. Mm -hmm. So he did have a decently long run. There are probably people out there that don't really know the expected 
um, tenure that most national team coaches have, it's not very long. Most it's four years. Like mostly <laughs> it's, yeah, it's mostly it's like one World Cup cycle. Yep. Um, and especially given the history of Canada's program, you're lucky if you last two years. Um, even successful national programs typically have plenty of turnover. The Argentinian manager, who's still there, by the way, he started the same time that Herdman did, right? Yeah. England um, has had all sorts of turn- turnover, and there's lots of people that think that Gareth Southgate should be replaced. Um, so if I were in Herdman's shoes, and we can get into this with Peter, but if I were in Herdman's shoes, I would have been weighing my options too. You don't want to wear out your welcome, and all of a sudden you're not such a hot commodity anymore. He pounced on the TFC opportunity, and I imagine TFC um, was pretty aggressive in how they contacted him, and I'd be curious to know what he makes at TFC compared to what he was making with the Canadian job. Um, But his decision to leave, despite all this, certainly doesn't leave me feeling great about Canada's prospects going forward. Just that he was willing to walk away from the opportunity to coach a World Cup at home. Now, we're going to get to Peter in just a sec, but I, I, I did want to say this. To Herdman's credit, it's not like he left Canada high and dry. Okay? Mm-hmm. There's three years to the World Cup. There's plenty of time to hire a new manager and get ready for Copa America next summer and then the World Cup three years from now. There's plenty of time. Sure. This is on Canada soccer now to find the right person to replace Herdman. Peter Galindo, coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Missing the Canucks? Subscribe to the Canucks Central Podcast and get alerts for breaking news episodes. Daily shows return in September. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. It is 6.32 in the morning. Peter Galindo is going to join us in just a second here for a little Canadian soccer talk. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. To the phone lines we go. Sportsnet soccer analyst Peter Galindo here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Boys, how are we? Been a while. Has been a while. How are things, Peter? I, I want to jump right to your reaction to the news of John Herdman departing the Canadian team because of your history with Herdman and the Canadian soccer program. For those that don't know, Peter was aboard in the late stages of the Herdman era, uh, coming on as a performance analyst, doing data and analysis uh, for some of the Canadian opponents. So when you heard the news that John was leaving to take the TFC job, Peter, what was your reaction? Um, I think on a personal level, it was obviously you know a tough one because John brought me in. Um, he's done amazing things for Canadian soccer. So I think just... It was a multi-layered level of, oh, that kind of sucks to see. And, you know, you're obviously excited for him, I think, on a professional level, that he's getting a club opportunity that he's been pretty vocal about wanting for the last couple of years now. Um, But then on the 
on on the flip side, you're also kind of thinking, okay, well, you know, what now? Not just for yourself, but also for the program, for the federation, and kind of what's going to come next. And so it's it, it's all very much like pretty much the, the first 48 hours after the announcement was just a very, uh, you know, almost feeling of uncertainty as much as a feeling of sadness, but also some happiness as well for some other uh, former colleagues who are going to be joining John as well and much deserved for them. So you were there at a very unique time in the, the career arc of John Herdman because it was after the World Cup. And I things didn't necessarily change after the World Cup, but it was a different vibe entirely because everything leading up to the World Cup and qualification was like good vibes. Like everyone was feeling it. It was great. Everyone was full of excitement and anticipation. Then the tournament happened, and then the aftermath happened. And I'm curious, what was it like watching – him go through that how challenging did things get for Herdman after the team returned for the World Cup and was still playing games and still trying to be actively and competitive yeah you know it's funny I um I I've mentioned this you know whole uh thing to some friends about how you know it's kind of crazy how things have sort of changed after the World Cup and then they go you know what's coincidental it seemed to coincide with you coming in so I thought am I <laughs> am I the baddie here are, are we the baddies are we the, the baddies the <laughs> <laughs> um so you know personally based on what I saw now I was only there for March and then the Gold Cup so I was only there to see the you know quote unquote a squad one time and this was immediately after the World Cup and one of the biggest questions I had going into that camp was, okay, they've just come off the high of a World Cup. Yes, results-wise, it didn't go well. Um, but you experience that moment, and then you're back into preparing for Nations League games against Curaçao and Honduras. But, like, talk about a come down. And what really struck me was, despite the fact that they could have easily maybe been a little bit off their game or maybe somewhat disinterested. The players still seemed quite unified. They still seemed um, quite locked in and determined to, first of all, get to a Nations League final. Um, but then also the, the camaraderie also seemed to be there as well, which, which was quite surprising, as, you know, considering given the, the whole penalty fiasco against Belgium and um, you know, what happened against Croatia and then eventually against Morocco, like a team could have easily been fractured by that. Um, but based on what I saw in March, things were okay. Um, and then in June, July with the gold cup, with an entirely new group, everybody really kind of got united and galvanized by everything. And, you know, even that U S game where we ended up losing, of course, on penalties, like the effort was there. The commitment was there defensively, at least in open play for the first 90 minutes, like everybody was sacrificing, everybody was playing for each other. Um, and, you know, even from a coaching perspective as well, like John seemed quite rejuvenated by that gold cup. Um, now, I mean, I wasn't there for the nation's league. I don't know how he was feeling then, but based on the gold cup, he seemed to be quite upbeat by, by what he was seeing. So you know, he even admitted as as long as as well as all of us actually that when we got eliminated that night, we were like, God, you know, we don't want to go home. Like, I don't really want to go home here. Like, I've I've really enjoyed this so much. So, you know, it's uh, it, it's been quite an interesting you know eight or nine months to to say the least for John. That's for sure. Well, in light of what you just said, what did you make of the report from the Athletic that it was a bit of a fractured room or there was some disillusionment among the players with regards to how Herdman was managing them? 
Yeah, I mean, again, um, what I saw in March would say a lot to the contrary. Now, I wasn't there for the Nations League. I don't know, obviously, what transpired there. Um, I don't know what the quote-unquote vibes were like. I don't know what the preparation was like. So maybe that changed things. But based on what I saw, um, I, I can certainly say that the players still seem very much pulling for each other and united and um, very much focused on the prize. And based on the fact that, you know, I remember after the Honduras game in the, in the post-match huddle, um, you know, everybody was just so pumped to, to get to a semifinal and a final and to play in some big games. So, you know, everybody seemed to be quite united. And I know that there was a bit of a, of a nugget regarding Milan Borian in one of the reports um, saying that, oh, he was a bit disenfranchised because he didn't end up starting more games at the Gold Cup, and so that's why he left. Why he actually left was, and this was the plan all along, he was supposed to start the first two games because it was a new group. He was one of the leaders, so we wanted that veteran leadership there. And then because his new club, Slovan Bratislava, were playing in Champions League qualifiers overlapping with the Gold Cup, he had to leave for preseason. So he left, returned to his club, played the Champions League qualifiers, and upon his departure, he actually sent a very lovely voice note into the, into the coaches group, into the team group, about just pretty much gush, gushing over John for two minutes. So when I read that, I kind of thought, well, that's a bit peculiar because that's not at all what happened. So, um, you know, just, just things like that sort of make me think, I, I don't think that that was entirely the case. Now, I'm not a player. I'm not going to be around them or privy to certain conversations. They're hardly going to voice their displeasure when a staff member's around. But just based on what I saw, um, you know, I would maybe tread with caution on that. So, Peter, where does Canada soccer go next? Will they? I know a lot of people are wondering, will they even be able to afford a good manager to replace Herdman? Yeah, and I know uh, Manuel Vess, I believe it was yesterday afternoon, he reported that there has been a lot of interest including from what he calls high-profile coaches, and they have inquired about the finances, I think understandably. Um, and he also went on to report that, you know, maybe the finances won't be as much of a hurdle as initially reported. We'll obviously have to wait and see on that. Um, but if they get someone like, let's say, a Bobby Smyrniotis from Forge, he's coached Richie Larea, Tejon Buchanan, Kyle Lahren when they were youth players at Sigma. So he has previous relationships with some pretty important players on the national team and some leaders on the national team, which is really going to help smooth things over if he were to come in and have to you know, win over the players' trust, right? Um, not to mention, tactically, he's very intelligent. He's won three titles at Forge. His in-game changes are flawless. He's navigated some pretty tricky waters in CONCACAF competitions, especially away from home in some pretty tough places to go to in Central America. So you know that he's not going to be phased by that. And he actually, I remember speaking to him a couple times about this, he relishes challenges that really push him. And he seems to really get a lot out of his players. So from a motivational standpoint, you imagine that he would tick the box there. Um, and, and listen, there are federations who have done really, really well with more low-profile coaches based on obviously what we see in the, in the world's game now. I mean, look at Morocco. They let go of their coach a few months before the World Cup. They bring in a domestic option, a Moroccan in Walid Rodraghi, and he leads them to a semifinal, their first ever quarterfinal, semifinal. They very nearly 
eliminate France with 10 men. And this was a guy who was pretty much thrown in there with very little preparation, and he got a lot out of them. And when you look at their top-end talent, yeah, they have some good players. Um, but compared to the Frances and the Argentinas of the world, probably not. And even Argentina. Um, you look at when they hired Lionel Scaloni, he was their fifth, sixth, or seventh option because they couldn't afford to hire anybody else. There were a lot of big Argentinian names linked to that job, but they couldn't afford to pay them what they wanted. So they had to hire Scaloni, who was coaching the youth teams, who was at times an assistant for other coaches. And he ends up guiding them to a World Cup about three years later, which is pretty remarkable to think about. So if we're trying to look at things maybe glass half full, that could be you know, something to, to maybe look at as, as saying you don't necessarily need a high-profile coach to, I guess, get the most out of a group of players, especially when that group of players involves arguably the greatest of all time in Lionel Messi. What about the finances overall? Being able to afford to go and play every friendly you want to play, um, the deal with Canada Soccer Business is such a tough one because Canada Soccer Business basically sucks up all the revenue and says, you're getting this set amount. And if I was kind of Canada Soccer Business, I'd be like, I don't really want to renegotiate that. It's a great deal for us, except for the bad PR. What do they do about this? Because Copa America next summer, and then you've got the run-up to the World Cup where you want to be doing everything you can. Spare no expense, they would say. But Canada Soccer would be like, uh, actually, we have to spare some, right? Like, it's, it's a really tough situation that they're in. Do you see any solution on the horizon? The only solutions or possible solutions I could see, at least when it comes to the coaching side, and I guess even just booking friendlies in the future, is I wonder if you maybe get the cooperation of a third party, a private party, or even sponsors themselves to almost pay for that out of their own pockets. Um, because I'm not sure that sponsors are going to be entirely thrilled with all the negative PR, the players going at the Federation, the mm -hmm. Federation going at the players, the fact that John left in the manner that he did, um, and the fact that he was calling out the Federation for lack of resources, lack of prep time. Um, you look back at that Nations League final, the U.S. had 10 days to prepare. That's why they were so dominant on set pieces in that game, because they had those extra sessions to prepare for both defensive set pieces and attacking set pieces, whereas Canada did not. They had four days. Um, so things like that could possibly help in that way. Um, and not to mention, it would also help the players prepare for Copa America and the World Cup because they need those reps as but, a group. But entirely. would that even be allowed? Like, like if you bring in a, a, a private sponsor or whatever, wouldn't Canada Soccer Business would be like, look at the agreement, that comes to us. Canada Soccer gets this amount and anything else that's sponsor-related, that comes to us. Yeah, I mean, again, that would have to be, I guess, under the cooperation of Canadian soccer business. They'd right. have to come to some sort of agreement, I suppose. Um, and look, they're aware of the negative PR that's out there. I know that um, you know Mark Noonan, the CPL commissioner and someone who's now on the CSB board, has spoken openly about this, about how they are going to increase the funding and increase the, the payments. Now, we don't know the exact details of that. And they said they are working on solutions. We don't know what solutions those are. Um, that could be one of them, right? Um, and, and it's going to have to be because, you know, now we're seeing 
almost the reverse effect happening here from 2021 in that we all saw the financial reports where the men's team had more spent on it than the women's team. Now that was in part due to just the sheer amount of games and sheer amount of travel during COVID as well um, that they had to play in that calendar year. Whereas the on the podium money largely covered the women's expenses going to the, the, to the Olympics, playing in the Olympics, as well as, you know, other funds as well, mainly from the government. Um, and now this year, the Federation has pledged that from here on out, the women are going to be playing games in every single window, but they can't do the same for the men. So you're already kind of seeing this juxtaposition where they have to give equal treatment to both teams. And that's obviously the right thing to do. Don't get me wrong, but do they have the financial capability to do that? That's the big question. Peter, this was great. As always, thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the day and the rest of the week. We'll be talking again soon. For sure, guys. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, That's Peter. Peter Galindo, Sportsnet soccer analyst here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So we got a bunch of texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line, and some of them aren't even complaints about the show. Wow. Um, Cam from Delta texting in about Kuzmenko. And the fact that he's been putting all this stuff out on social media of him traveling around the world, but also training at the same time. And Cam said, I followed Kuzmenko's socials last year before he signed with the Canucks. And he did all this stuff then as well. He put in the work to get here to the NHL. He managed fine last year. Mike in West Kelowna uh, texts in and says, Kuzmenko is an elite scorer. You watch and see he will break 40 goals this year. He is a passionate guy with some personality. I guarantee if you ask Petey who he wants to play with, he'd say Kuzmenko. That speaks volumes. Talented players know which guys have pure talent. Kuzmenko was, is a, is a, was a great scorer in the NHL last year. I nearly said he's a great scorer, but I need to see him do it again. He is very talented. All Mike and I were saying, and especially me, like I started out, I was like, I don't, blame the guy for wanting to see the world i think that's great he's got the um he's got the money to do it mm-hmm. he you know you got, you got to life is there's more to more to life than your job there's more to life than just hockey and if he shows up into shape in, into camp in shape and he looks good doing it um then everything will be great but the canucks didn't want him to do it Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's important to note. Like the Canucks did not want him to do this. And Dan Milstein on Sakaris Price said that. And they had to and, and and Milstein said everyone needs to take a chill pill. So what does that tell you about the Canucks response to Kuzmenko's off-season plans? It wasn't just watching like watching everything. Yeah, it wasn't monitoring everything. It wasn't just like, well, I don't know about that. You you don't say chill pill to that, <laughs> you know. Like you shouldn't really say chill pill. Then you shouldn't say chill pill. Like it's take a chill pill. Very outdated phrase. A bit of an outdated phrase. But all I'm saying is that the the potential is there if Kuzmenko gets off to a bad start for people not just to be like, oh, what's wrong with Kuzmenko? It's for people, including the Canucks, to be like, well, maybe if you weren't traveling around the world off all off season. Right, and that's so he's taking that, that risk. That, that sucks. sucks. That totally sucks. It sucks because it's it's probably very incomplete and it's easy and it's a knee jerk reaction. And it'll only 
foster the belief that this market and fan base is unhinged and unrealistic and takes way too much of a way too much of a of a personal lean and a personal slant into these things. The two shouldn't be correlated. He could very well be in the best shape of his life in Bali and come in and not play well. Those two things could happen. Or his shooting percentage regresses, like a lot of people say, okay. and people who don't really know the game, they're like, well, goals. He was scoring them last year. He's not this year, so obviously he's out of shape. Okay, let's talk about that for a sec because he shot it at a 27% clip last year, okay? 27.3% was his shooting percentage. That's a crazy shooting percentage. To put this in perspective, there was... 19 40 goal scorers in the NHL last year. 40 plus. Okay? Kuzmenko was almost number 20, but he had 39 goals, right. not 40. If he was in better shape, he'd get to 40. If he didn't go to Bali. <laughs> there are, I think, five guys of that, let's say 20, that shot it over 20%. No one was close to 27. Mm-hmm. So you got to understand that last year, Kuzmenko with a ridiculously high shooting percentage. Well, remember some of his goals. There were a bunch of tap-ins. Still didn't get yeah. to 40 goals. He was close, but he wasn't there. So the idea of regressing has probably nothing to do with being in the best shape of his life or mm-hmm. the worst shape of his life or playing with Petey or not playing with Petey. It's just reality setting in. Well, the, the other side of that is if he shows up in even better shape than he was last season, maybe he plays more. And maybe his shot volume goes up so that even though there might be a bit of a regression on the shooting percentage. God, look at us. We're such a stats show. If his stats go up and his goals go up, will the Canucks make him do even more travel next offseason? Mm-hmm. Like even more world tours? They're like you. Yeah. Go to Jakarta. Even crazier like, places? You were inspired by the world. <laughs> yes, you must travel and more. E- and everyone on the team has to travel. Yeah, the entire, entire offseason world No, I, I, I do think it's interesting. The most interesting part for me is not really what we say or what the fans say. It's that Dan Milstein, his agent, and he volunteered this, said that the Canucks didn't really want him to do this. Yeah, no, I I get it. I get it. I get all of it. It sucks that this is a situation. Because really, a guy that has a tremendous first year in the NHL, scores 39 goals, uh, blows expectations out of the water, signs a nice new contract, and then rewards himself with a trip to Bali, which, by the way, it was clearly working out a ton on. Like, that narrative should be just fine. But, I mean, it gets taken in a different direction, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that, as we always circle back to, this team has been in the doldrums for an awfully long time. This reaction doesn't happen to a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning that goes and does the same thing. Doesn't. It wouldn't. Right? If uh, well, if Andre no- Vasilevsky went and did the exact same thing, or Nikita Kucherov yeah, for, went and did the exact same, but thing. for a number of reasons, for a number of reasons. for a number of reasons, number one, the market, but also the Tampa Bay Lightning have proven that they're a serious team, and I think that's really important to mention. And, and this has some Blue Jays tie-ins too, right? What did the Jays talk about heading into the season? Wow, the home run jacket is getting retired. And I can't remember who we had on the show that pushed back on the notion that like that wasn't a big deal. But I was like, that's symbolic. That's symbolic of a team that is trying to take a step forward and become more than just like a team full of potential. They want a team full of like actual 
results, right? They want to become a serious baseball team. They're no longer the guys with the the young prospects that have all sorts of talent and they just need to put it all together. Mm-hmm. The retiring of the home run jacket was like, okay, we're we're we we've got a mission this year. And one of the reasons that Jays fans are so frustrated with this team is like they aren't playing like a serious baseball team. And that goes from the players all the way up to last night at least the manager in John Schneider, right? The Canucks are taking a similar sort of step, right? Like mm-hmm. the young players, Petey and Quinn Hughes, are asked to be taking a leadership role, to become more serious, to become more Sedine-like, right? Like serious about their offseason, serious about their fitness, serious about their practice habits, and then on the ice, serious about structure, et cetera, accountability, all these things – that represent a mature team, which is probably why the Canucks management was like, oh, you know what? Going to Bally, <laughs> that really doesn't that doesn't mesh with what we're trying to do here. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get it, right? The stakes are high and the pressure is high. And the desire and want and need to turn things around and to be a serious club is high. So even the most minute minuscule stories and developments and anecdotes and social media postings, they get elevated to a larger scale. And you talk about them at 6.55 in the morning on a radio show in the middle of the summer. I mean, part of it is the summer. But I, I get why all of this is happening. I just wish it wasn't. But it is. It's our reality. And we move forward. Um, now, speaking of moving forward. Yeah, Nick Shook is going to join us for a little NFL talk. Uh, Jonathan Taylor was not traded. The Arizona Cardinals are a joke. We'll get into that with Nick Shook coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.